do you remember the story of after the people came out of uh, they came out of uh, of Egypt and uh, remember they wandered through the, through the desert for years and years and years, right? Um, a generation of people died in the desert. And then they were getting ready to go into the promised land. They cross over the Jordan River and they step foot in the promised land. And it's been, it's been hundreds of years since Israel as a nation were in the promised land where that family that grew to a nation was in the promised land. And there's this great... Um, there's this great uh, battle of Jericho. Remember, they, they march around the city. They're singing the songs. They blow the ram's horns. The walls come tumbling down, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, right? Well, God fought that battle, actually, so that song is really totally inaccurate. But, you know, but Joshua's there. No, they, they fight the battle. They win Jericho. And then there's, there's a, another city, the, the next city in line. And they go, let's go up to that city. But we don't need to take the whole army. We'll just go with a few people. And so they go with a few people thinking this will be a piece of cake. But the people of that city said, we need a rally. We need to fight hard. So they fought against them and defeated Israel's army. And they come back and they find out that well, it's because there were some there was disobedience in the there was this was disobedience in, with among the people. Um, they had to they had to they had to search that out, and they found out there was there was a particular uh, individual and his family were 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 uh, had disobeyed God's word. They they were going against his instructions, and that that caused. Um, that sin basically had an effect on the whole company. The whole community was affected by that. And, uh, and what happened was, as they went up to fight, um, they discovered that God was not with them. That was just one story from Israel, from Israel's history. There are many more <laughs> where Either the, the people as a whole or as individuals went out to do something, God was not with them. And destruction, judgment, defeat. When God is not with us, <laughs> that is a sobering thing to think about. I don't, know if you've, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where for you, you are... You are attempting something. You are going for something. You're making decisions about something. And no matter what you do, it just seems like it's being stopped. And you're wondering, is God with us? Is God with me? Is God in this or not? This passage uh, in Philippians, these two verses that are actually quite pregnant with meaning and content... But these two verses in Philippians chapter 4 hold a promise for us that God is with us in these, in the, in these particular ways. We're going to look at that in a moment, but, but, but let's look at the text itself. Let's look at the test, text itself, verses 8 and 9 of, ch of Philippians chapter 4, and then we'll explore 
the joy of God with us. Following along with me as I read aloud. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. The big idea I want us to hear today is this. God is with the one who ponders and practices the gospel life. It's a real simple concept. God is with the one who ponders and practices the gospel life. That's what, that's what Paul is, is teaching us in these two, two passages. He starts out by, by suggesting to us, and, and I'm putting it in our words, I'm putting it in, in uh, words that hopefully will, will make sense to, to us today, something that we can kind of hang these ideas on, and that is that um, is the first one is that we ponder the gospel. He's encouraging, Paul is encouraging us to ponder the gospel. Now he says it in verse 8, and in a slightly different way, he says, think about these things. Now he listed off several things, and then he said, think about these things. And the word, the the idea behind there that that he's trying to get us to, uh, the way he's trying to get us to think about these things is this is that we consider or ponder or reflect on. We, we have a, a discerning mind about this list of things. When I, um, when I was younger, this used to be a favorite verse of my parents, or especially my mom. Um, and uh, she would give me this verse uh, when maybe I wasn't feeling... The God, the God of peace with me, or maybe I was, um, maybe I was struggling with, um, you know, should I listen to a certain kind of music, or watch a certain kind of television, or, or go to certain kinds of movies, and, and I, I can hear my mother saying, well, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely and commendable, excellence, worthy of praise. And is that is that what you're filling your minds with? And that's that's a that's a good application to these verses. It stuck with me. It really did. And as I looked at this a little bit a little bit more closely, what I what I began to see is that the yes, Paul is telling us to have those things in our minds, mull them over. Be discerning about what goes into our minds. Um, he wants us to ponder the great things that he has been revealing to them, that he's talked to them, that he's taught them. The great things about the gospel. The great things about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for them as a people. And, and who they are as God's people. Remember, they're citizens of heaven. We saw that in chapter 3. Remember that they, are, they have um, 
They have salvation. They have identity in Christ. But he tells them to, he tells them that, look, the work, the good work that God began in you, he will bring it to completion. He will be faithful. He is in process of making you who you should be. And all of these things, based on their, the gospel and based on who they are, these are the commendable things. These are the things that are excellent. These are the things that are worthy of praise. He wants us to ponder them. The, the list of, of words here, I, I put in the, on the back of the bulletin, you have, you have notes there. You can fill in some blanks with me as we go, but... I always think that when you're reading, especially these New Testament letters, and you come across a list, it's good to, to kind of pause for a moment and reflect on that list. You know, Paul uses words for a reason. He uses particular words. He uses things that are going to connect with his listeners. And it's, what's really interesting about this list is that these are terms that were all over in Greek philosophy and all over in, basically they were kind of in the zeitgeist, if you will, of, of the people's uh, thinking. You know, people who lived in Philippi, they, they knew about these things because, because not only um, were they Roman citizens, not only were they, did they, were they proud of the the Roman peace that was provided and, and the fact that they were garrisoned by, by uh, Roman soldiers and protected and, and they had that identity as citizens of Rome, but they also had great moral teaching. The, 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 the philosophers, the Greek philosophers had taught them the moral life is a good life. There is a way to be virtuous. In fact, many of these terms right here come right out of that Greek philosophy on how to live a good life and how to have a moral and excellent life. But what's neat about it is that Paul, like he always does, he takes something that they're familiar with and he just kind of infuses it with the gospel. And he turns it to Christ. He turns it to the God of peace. So he, t- he tells them, whatever is true. No, that's, that's whatever is true is just the facts, right? But see, Paul's asking us a, a, more, uh, a, a more specific question, though. When we, to think about, to ponder whatever is true is, is to ask the question, is it consistent with God's truth? So, so we could take this list and, and apply it to our lives, to the things that we're learning. How about in school? M- middle school, high school, college, seminary, especially in seminary. Don't take their word for it. Trust me. You need to ask these questions. You know, is this excellent? Is this worthy of praise? Is it true? Etc. Um, how about in the kinds of, how about the kinds of media that we ingest? The things that go into our ears or come into our minds through our eyes. The things we watch or listen to. Paul is actually giving us a framework 
at which we can be a discerning Christians. So we can ponder the gospel in the world around us and what is really true. So we ask the question, is it consistent with God's truth? Watching a television show and they are saying, well, this is what's true and this is what's right and this is the way it is and these are the facts. And you go, well, is it consistent with God's truth? What is God's truth? What he has revealed to us in Scripture. Here it is. It, God's word is right here. The Bible is right here. And you have access to it. And if you're in Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit gives you understanding and helps you to understand and apply it. You can read it for yourself. You don't need uh, somebody else to tell you this is what you should listen to or this is what you should watch. You have this as a standard. Is it consistent with God's truth? Should I be thinking about this? Should I be pondering this? How about whatever is honorable? Uh, maybe a, the, a, a good question to ask is this. Is it respected by God? That's a pretty high standard. So would God go, yes, I respect that. Is it honorable? Is it worthy of respect? Is it worthy of us going, yeah, that's good, that's excellent. How about whatever is just? Just had to do with rightness. So a question I would ask is this. Is it based on God's rightness? On what he, what he says in his word is right or wrong? That's, what's that's what is just. We hear a lot about justice um, today, and people want justice for this, justice for that, and rightly so. There's a there's a there's a desire in all of us to for things to be right, fair, equitable, right? We want that equality. Those are those those are good things to desire. The question, though, we have to ask ourselves if we as we ponder the gospel as it relates to to our world is. Is it based on God's rightness? So we look to the Word again. We go, okay, well, what does God say about that particular issue? What is fair to God? What, what is deserving to God in His mind, in His judgment? Well, what's fair for us in terms of our relationship to God is that we all deserve punishment. We all deserve his judgment. That's what's fair. That's what we deserve. That's what's just. But we ponder the gospel and we see that Christ came to fulfill that righteousness. Christ came to receive the judgment on himself that we deserve. So God is just and God is right. And as we look around us and we discern what's going on in the world, we go, well, what is right and what is wrong? We go back to God and go, well, what has he done for us? Who is he? What has he done for us? What is right and what is wrong about this situation? Whatever is pure. The idea of pure comes, comes from the word for, for holy. So this is a really tricky one. Because the idea of holiness in the Bible is something that is set apart. 
It's used, set apart for use by God or for God. So something, so a person could be holy. Like in ancient Israel, when the the priests were declared holy. They were set apart from the rest of their families, the rest of the tribes, and they were a holy people because they were set apart by God for his purposes. Then there were these, the holy items. There was a, there was a holy place. The, the temple had a holy place, and it even had a holy of holies or the most holy place. And the whole grounds was, was holy and separated so that just not anybody could go walk into God's presence in the temple. It was set apart. It was a holy place. And then there were holy things. There, were, there, were, there was an altar and there was a candlestick and there, there, was, a, there was the Ark of the, uh, Ark of the Covenant and, and other items that were used in worship. They were set apart as holy. But then God gives us an, gives his whole people, all of his people, an interesting command at one point in Leviticus. And he says, so you be holy as I am holy. So then he, he puts it on us as people, as his people, to be pure and to be holy. To not be defiled, in other words, by the world. To not let sin run rampant. That's why when God's people were doing what they thought was the right thing to do, but they were doing it without him, they were doing it without prayer, they were doing it without pondering the, what, is, what is worthy of praise, they did it without any obedience to his, his directions and his instructions, what he had taught them and modeled for them, that's why God wasn't with them. So when we think about whatever is pure around us, we ought to ask, is it holy as God is holy? Is that worthy of my, my, of my attention? Is that worthy of my thoughts? Worthy of pondering? Then he says, whatever is lovely. And this is a pretty obvious one. Um, you know, is it nice to think about? Is it nice to look at? But the, one of the questions we should ask in regard to that is, is it inspiring godly desires? Is it inspiring godly desires? Because the idea of something being lovely, is it being desirable? There are a lot of things that are desirable. Remember the um, story of Adam and Eve? And the serpent comes to Eve asks her those questions, kind of plants some doubt in her mind, sows some, some seeds of lies into her mind. And then, what does she do? She looks at the tree, and she sees that it's lovely to look at. It's desirable for food. It, 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 caused her desire to well up and she wanted that thing that God had said it's off limits. So this is not just about something being lovely or beautiful. This is about is it inspiring godly desires? Is it, is it inspiring us to go, yes, I want more of the good that God gives me. I want more of, of the things that will fill me with joy and contentment in God himself. It's not that the things that um, God gives us on earth, we should say, we should call ugly, 
or we should not appreciate. Like, for instance, my wife. She is lovely. And she is inspiring. And I do des- I desire her. I got to admit, you know. And is that a godly desire? Well, yeah, it is. Because guess what? We're married. I put a ring on it. It was, you know. And, and so now... What we have together and our desire for each other is good and lovely. It's a godly desire. I, I remind her of that often. Um, but, but do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's as we ponder, as we think about these things, all of these things, we are we're thinking, does it inspire godly desires? Is it holy as God is holy? Is it based on God's rightness? You see what I'm saying? Is it consistent with God's truth? And then the last thing in, in, his, in his list uh, of, the, of six items is whatever is commendable. So here's a question to ask yourself. Can you recommend it as a believer? <laughs> Or can I recommend it as a believer? So I'm asking these questions. You know, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely. And then when it comes to commendable, is this something I can go, hey, as a, as a follower in Christ, I can highly recommend this. This practice, or this thing to engage in, or, or this thing to think about, or believe in. And if you can't recommend it, is it worthy of praise? Is it really excellent? Is it something that you should be pondering? Something, something that you should be thinking about? The last two phrases, see, are kind of summary um, terms. He says, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. Any excellence. The... Uh, the, uh, the idea behind this word for excellence is, well, maybe this will, maybe this will, uh, maybe this will help you see what excellent is. Back in 1994, we had some Marines, we as a, as a nation had some Marines and some Army Rangers and even some Special Forces group part of one of our special forces groups in a little place called Somalia, Mogadishu more specifically. And um, during the course of them trying to assist the people there, humanitarian aid, um, kind of all heck breaks loose at one point. And and they realize in the course of trying an operation where they're trying to trying to get a hold of a bad guy and and get some get get some information and do 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 what they could to provide peace and stability there. One of their Blackhawks, one of the army's Blackhawks, crashes in the middle of the city, surrounded by hundreds, maybe thousands, of enemies. They need to get there because they need to. They want to save their lives. They don't know who's there who's still alive. They think that the pilots might still be alive, but they, they want to do whatever they can. They will risk their life to save 
that man. And they're trying to do this, and, and, and colonels and generals are saying, no, it's too dangerous, no, no, no. And over and over again, two operators named Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart requested to go in and try to rescue that pilot or those pilots. They go, and they finally get permission and they go to the place of the crash site. They find that one of the pilots is still alive. And they manage to secure him. But in the course of the rescue, they lose their lives. Well, after all of that goes down, after all that happens, and that pilot, um, who ended up being captured and held for tens plus days, was finally released, went back to his family, went back to, his, to, to serving his country as, a, uh, as an army pilot. But those two men were recognized for their bravery, for their heroism, for giving their lives for somebody else, to save one man. And they were given the Medal of Honor, our nation's highest um, highest achievement, highest wartime um, medal award for valor. When Paul uses the term excellence here, that is what he's talking about. That is what that term meant for the Philippians and their people. The kind of honor, the kind of excellence that was demonstrated in sacrifice of their own lives for somebody else. When he talks about worthy of praise or praiseworthy, if there's anything praiseworthy, anything worthy of praise, if you were, if, if this wasn't, at least if that wasn't a, a classified mission, would that be something you would tweet about? <laughs> would that be something you would post on Instagram? Something that's worthy of praise? This is, this is praiseworthy. Right here, what these men did is worthy of praise. And that's, that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want the world to know about. Well, when we're thinking about what's true, Go back, please. Go back to the last one, please. <laughs> there you go. We're still there. When we're thinking about pondering the gospel and whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and these things that are excellent and worthy of praise, do we consider the gospel? Do we consider what God has done for us in Christ? Jesus was the truth. Jesus earned the honor that he has, been, has received. Remember, Paul said, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That was chapter 2, verse 9. 
Why the therefore? What, what caused God? Why did God exalt him? What got Jesus to that exalted place? The name that is above every name. That every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because of what he did. Because of what he did for us. Ponder the gospel means to consider not only what is in the culture, but to consider what is ultimate and worthy of praise. Those are the things that, that, that the apostle is urging us to think about. Think about Christ. Don't let the things of the world crowd out your thoughts on Christ and on who he is. See, that's where the application comes into us. Because we could easily go, well, I don't... In our family, we don't watch rated R movies. Or we don't listen to that kind of music. And we could easily be, quote-unquote, discriminating about the things that we listen to in the culture or, or consume in the culture without ever pondering the gospel itself, and how Jesus is excellence. Jesus is worthy of praise. Why? Because he came to earth, born as a man, lived just, uh, lived a life just like we lived, was tempted in every way but without sin, lived a perfect sinless life, fulfilled all righteousness, did it all right, obeyed every law, obeyed every command, obeyed every word of God, but still died in our place to fulfill God's righteousness and rightness and justice. And then rose again, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, exalted at the right hand of God. Let your minds ponder that. Then, then practice. Practice the gospel life. That's the next thing. Practice the gospel life. Because Paul doesn't leave it at that. But he says, because he's leading to something great and glorious. But he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Practice the gospel life. So he wants us to think about what. What have you been taught? What have you been taught? He says it this way. What you have learned and received. He's using teaching language. He's saying, look, I've taught you many things about Christ and about the gospel and about how you ought to live. And remember that I told you, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Philippians 1 verse 27. He taught them how to live that their lives should be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that they should practice the gospel life. He says that you should, th you should be of the same mind, have the same love for one another, that you should not do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, you should count others more significant than yourselves. That you should consider the mind of Christ and how he humbled himself and how he waited for God to exalt him. You, you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That you should do all things without grumbling or questioning or disputing. That you ought to be blameless, pure, 
that you ought to live those live that way that you ought to rejoice that you ought to consider Christ that you ought to make knowing him the all-surpassing value worth the purpose of your life that you ought to imitate those who are walking that way who are following Jesus who are looking out for them that you should set your minds on what you have in heaven that that's where your identity is that that's where you will be transformed that's where you will be made glorious that you ought to love one another in joy and in unity you should rejoice you should be gentle you should not be anxious you should pray about all things These are the things that Paul taught them. What you have learned and received, practice these things. The word practice, he means accomplish them. Do them. Get on with it. And and by, by, in both of these phrases, both the word think about and the word practice, he means do them over and over again. Every day. Every day you get up is an opportunity to ponder the gospel. Every day that you have breath is, a, is an opportunity to practice the gospel life. To live the way you've been taught. So we today should consider that. What has God been teaching us for our adult lives? Our whole lives? Or what have we learned from childhood? Or what has, what has God been teaching us in the past few months from His Word? Practice those things. Have you, been, have you neglected them? Think back. Think back the last few weeks. What has God told you to do? What has God impressed on your heart to do in our time of worship or in your time in the Word that you haven't done yet? Do you mind if I get a little, too, get a little close, step on your toes a little bit? What have you not done? What have you neglected? What have you not been practicing? Woe to us all, if we, we end up in a place where we have, we, have, we have abandoned obedience for just being whoever we want to be. The nation of Israel, Israel tried that over and over again. What happened? God was not with them. What have you been taught? And then, what have you had modeled? What have you had modeled? Because then he says, what you have heard and seen in me. So what he's talking about is, is who are those Christian heroes in your life? Who are those, those, those believers who have demonstrated to you how to live the, the gospel life? How to ponder? How to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Do you have any... I'm not talking about hero worship. I'm not talking about idolizing a pastor or a, a family member or somebody. I'm not talking about that. Make Christ your idol. But, remember what he said when he, uh, back a, uh, uh, a few weeks ago we looked at chapter 3 when he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's calling us to reflect on who in our church uh, family who in our life has been an example to us, has been a model to us of faith, of loving God's word, of desiring it, of being obedient, of, of repentance and faith, of admitting when they're wrong. 
and relying on the grace of God. He says, practice these things. Think about what you've been taught. Think about what you have had modeled to you by other believers and practice the gospel life. And why? The result of all of this? The God of peace will be with you. Isn't that what we want? The joy of God with us? The joy of Emmanuel? Matthew chapter 1. When, when, when the angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, marry that girl. Marry that girl. Da, da, da. Maybe that's where the song came from. Maybe not. When Joseph when was told, Mary, Mary, Mary. Take Mary as your wife. Because, because what is in her is there by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the child that is conceived in her womb is by the Holy Spirit. And when he grows up, and when you, when you name him, name him Jesus, name him God, save, the Lord saves, and then he will be called, just kind of weird thing, name him Jesus, but then he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's what the people, that's what God's people have been longing for. That's what, that's what ancient Israel longed for. They wanted God with them. They didn't want to be like all the other people. In their best moments, they wanted God's presence with them. They wanted God with them. And here he came, the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God. He came as a baby, God with us. That's Jesus. And my friends, when you think about, if you think about practicing the gospel life as something that you accomplish, you ought to you know, take it to heart. But think about what Jesus has accomplished for us. God is with us because Jesus has accomplished our salvation. Jesus has defeated sin and death. Jesus has made it possible for us to know the God of peace as a good, good Father who loves us. That's what we have. That's what we're called to, to ponder the gospel, to practice the gospel of life. Let me reiterate this, this, this idea again. God is with the one who ponders and practices the gospel life. It's an invitation for us today to get our minds right, to get our hearts right, but also to get our feet and hands right as we obey God in the power that Jesus gives us. So if you're a believer today, you've already put your faith in Christ. This should be a challenge for us today, day by day. This is not a once once-in-a-lifetime thing. This is not like the moment that we were regenerated and saved by faith, where we came to Christ and He delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is, this is, this is akin to Jesus saying, take up your cross daily and follow me. Daily, we ponder the gospel and its effects in our life. Daily, we practice the life that he's called us to live. It's by God's grace that we do that. 
If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you don't know that you're saved, if you don't know that God is with you, this is an opportunity to take this and go, do I want that, what is of ultimate excellence? Do I want what is ultimately worthy of praise? What is, what is ultimately true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable? Do I want that in my life? Put your faith in Him. Trust in Jesus for that life that He offers through His own blood, His own sacrifice. Winning it all for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for hearing. Thank you for speaking to us by your word. We accept your word to us. God, I... This was a challenging word for me because I, I see how so many ways in my life I let my mind ponder things that are far below this standard that you have set for us in the gospel of Christ. That, that I, I, I neglect to obey the things, to do the things that you've t- already taught me to do, that I've already seen lived out in so many others' lives and, and they're following you faithfully and, and, and that, that example and, and those, those things that I've been taught, I, I so easily neglect. Forgive me. God, I want to be right with you. God, I want you with us. God, I want us to say as a people, God is with us. God is with the River Church. God is with the community that is gathered in this home. God is with the people that are gathered in this city to declare your name, to bless you by their praises. Be with us, Father, and, in, and help us by your power, your enabling power, to live that way, to live it out every day for your glory and our joy. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.